Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. Uh, my guest today is Ian Goldman, Acting Deputy Director General Evidence and Knowledge Systems at South Africa's Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation Ministry. Uh, you are uh, here in Nairobi talking about uh, evidence-based uh, policies. Can you explain a bit about that? So the, the, the issue is how can we uh, improve the quality of policies and implementation? And one of the ways of doing that is by making sure that they're evidence-based so that the right policies are being chosen and that the way they're the the, tr the interventions that are selected to implement the policies are also the most likely to be the most effective and that also there's a process set in place that as they're implemented there's monitoring and feedback you know of data etc on how it's going which feeds back into revisions and improvements etc etc but this uh, conference is basically focusing on Africa isn't it because the reason why I ask is that it makes sense, really. I mean, to have any policy, there should be some sort of evidence for the policy to be formulated, isn't it? Uh, ideally, but in fact, in, in reality, often what happens is there's a political mandate that, that comes, that's developed in whatever way. And then when the, the, the new government comes in with their political mandate, they're under great pressure to move to implement it. And they often don't have the time to then go into some trials for two years to decide how that policy should be implemented. They've got five years. So they move very quickly into the design space. And so what we've found in South Africa and, and last week in Uganda, training senior, senior policymakers, they all say we jump from an agenda to design. And they miss the diagnosis phase where you really try and understand what is the problem what are the root causes of the problem? What are the options we could consider? Which is the option we think should be taken before you move into design? And what that means is people are often moving to address symptoms rather than causes because they haven't really thought through what are the root causes. And the reality is politicians do have a short time scale. So what the technical people need to do is they need to anticipate. So, for example, as soon as they know that a political party is considering that this might be their mandate, they should be looking at what's the evidence they can mount. So by the time that the election is over and the new party is in place, they've already thought through what are the options, they've garnered the evidence, so that they can respond quickly to the policymakers and not say, oh, well, you'll have to wait for a year to find out what's, what, what's the answer. So what you're saying is it's for the people with the policy ideas to sell the policy to the politicians in a way that they should be able to accept yeah it's particularly about the implementation so i think the key issue is you know let's say um the political mandate will say um as in uh you in in ghana they want one factory per district okay well then you need to then if you know that that's likely to come on the agenda what sort of factory producing what um, how would it be linked into value chains? Uh, what support might be needed to make the factory work? What infrastructure might be needed? So you need to look into trying to build an evidence base, which means that it's likely to work and not likely to fail. Yeah. But all too often the, the, the political slogan comes in and then the, 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 the implementers feel they've just got to implement it and there isn't this phase of working out what's going to work. So what step should the process take really? So as much as possible, you want the actual mandate to be driven by evidence too. So, it, you know, in some countries like South Africa, we've had one government for quite a long time. 
one party in government. So there's been a chance to build an ongoing evidence agenda to some extent. In countries like Ghana, where you're basically rotating every five years, it's more difficult and you need to anticipate. So, for example, in the UK, the, the civil servants know they have to prepare for the incoming government before the incoming government comes in so that they've already worked out based on their priorities what are the sort of things they could do. We need to be doing that sort of thing. Well, so, yeah, well, I mean, uh, the Ghanaian system is based on the British system with a strong uh, civil service. So wh- why does it work in places like Ghana and Sierra Leone or the former British colonies where they've adopted uh, the British civil service system? So I, d- I doubt, I mean, in South Africa, so far as I'm aware, uh, I mean, uh, the... The transitions I've been part of have always been in the same party. But if uh, uh, there isn't this process of developing the package of information for an incoming government to advise them when they come in on what they should do. So you need to be anticipating that. So if you know there's a likelihood of, an, of a transition, you need to be preparing that evidence. But I think in general, for example, if you are knowing that youth unemployment is a big issue and you want to do something about it and it's a critical issue for the country, you shouldn't be waiting for the politician to tell you that. You should be building your evidence agenda so when the politician says, what can we do about youth unemployment, you've already built up, it looks like in our sort of context, with the sort of resources that we've got, these are likely to be the most effective interventions. Or we should try this intervention and that intervention and see which works best. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, no, you, you've made an interesting point because the point is, uh, let's face it, civil servants or policymakers are scared to tell African politicians the right thing. They just tell them what they want to hear. And that's why we have a problem in Africa. No, that's true. And so what, what, what I, the, the message we're trying to give in the courses we run for the top, top levels of the public services, it's for the politicians to say what's the mandate but you need to advise them on how to implement it. So you need to building the evidence base on what are the right interventions which will help to implement this. They may not accept, accept it. Um, I mean, one of the things I liked visiting the UK is ministers also may not accept the evidence, from. but if they don't accept, they have to put it in writing. So they know that their record, that they went against the advice of the, of the technical people is recorded, and they know that they will face the consequences if it doesn't work. But I think in general, that, you know, we need to move into the space of not waiting for the politicians, but anticipating the sort of issues that they're going to be looking at and developing. Otherwise, you can't do anything long term. You, in, in the end, always do things that are short term. If you only have a short term, you still can do things. So, for example, as I mentioned, when we run the course for these senior politicians, at the end, we get them to to do an exercise where they've got one group has got two weeks, another group has got six months, another group's got two years, and they have to try and think how they would apply evidence and generate the right evidence and build uh, build the relationship with the politicians and the policymakers in that timescale that they've got. And you can still use an evidence-based approach, but what you, the, the options available to you are very different in those different timescales. Yes, you did mention in your keynote address the, uh, the retreat of cabinet ministers in Uganda every six months. How has that been going? Well, I don't have personal, I don't have personal experience, but the, the impression I get is that um, you know, each minister has, has to present on their, on their performance. There's, some, there's a traffic light system which registers how well they've done against their key targets. And the president is chairing this, and they get dressed down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's a there's a feeling that every six months they have to produce evidence on what well, how they're doing, and and whether things are working or not. And and if they don't, they they're they're in trouble. You also mentioned that uh, 
there are times there's no need to take from the Northern experience in terms of developing policies. Uh, can you explain a bit about that? Uh, well, I, I didn't quite put it that way. I said there, there's two things. There's one of which is which I think we need to be careful about developing systems which depend on Northern expertise. So we have to be careful about impact evaluations because all too often you end up having to bring in Northern universities, etc., to run them. Not to say there's not a role for them, there is a role for them. Um, but also we need to be careful in, in terms of adopting uh, policy policy ideas from northern countries so i prefer for example going to middle income countries because south africa is a middle income country and the sort of time so mexico or colombia are ideal they have big problems of corruption they've got very competent people they're very poor people they have a underperforming public service so many of the issues are similar whereas if you go to canada or you go to finland you know your context is so different that it, to, to make the read across of what they're trying to do you still can do it so there are some things for example we adopted um the model of a of a national evaluation plan from australia but we took the idea that they had and we adapted it for us you know what I mean? So, so the, there are ways of doing it, but you've got to be very careful to to take the the, the approach and the principles, not the exact way they implemented it. So, what you're saying is that uh, that's why there seem to have been failure of World Bank policies in Africa over the years. Well, I think it depends, but I mean, I think there has been a tendency in many of the multilateral institutions as they 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 develop a recipe, and then they want to apply the recipe everywhere. So whether it's about the way local government, you're going to do local governments or financial markets or whatever it is. And that's dangerous because the context differ. So there's not to say you, there isn't read across and there is, there's a, is a potential of read across, particularly between countries which have a, a lot of similarities. Yeah, but also, I mean, the mentality of African leaders and what have you, they'll prefer to have experts from abroad and they would not want to listen to local expertise. I mean, is that the case you still find in Africa, or has that, has, has that changed? Um, I actually, that's not been so much my experience. I mean, I think, uh, so certainly in the countries I've worked closely with, I, I think there is a lot of respect for local expertise. Um, um, the, so that's not been so much a problem. Where it is is in things that have become very specialised, like impact evaluations, where the designs of them are very complicated and to run them. So so in South Africa, we've got a few universities, for example, which are ex experts in that. And then there are more in, in Africa that are emerging. But that's an area where there's definitely not enough expertise. And, and often when funders fund them, then you end up that the, the principal investigators are Northern University. Yes, and also in terms of uh, external funding for think tanks in Africa, do they actually, the funders, uh, the external funders, do they actually try and push their own agenda in terms of uh, the work the think tanks are doing in Africa. So, so they do, and and, and sometimes that's uh, you know that's something that the the people who are applying for funding need to decide whether they can work with that agenda or not. Um, one of my concerns, though, in terms of capacity of of think tanks and 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 people receiving funding from northern donors is, you end up having to use their systems. So if you have multiple donors, you have multiple systems, you're trying to develop your own. So, for example, they may have their own way of doing annual reviews or evaluations. Meanwhile, you're trying to develop a national system for M&E and evaluation. It would be much better if, if they could support an indigenized system rather than just imposing their system. But uh, not so easy. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned.
w- welcome back. Uh, my guest is Ian Goldman, Acting Deputy Director General of Evidence and Knowledge Systems at South Africans Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation uh, Ministry. Uh, you did also mention <clears throat> understanding the political climate uh, before uh, evidence-based policies uh, are presented. Uh, can you please explain a bit about that? Well, I, I, what's very important, you've got to, if you want to influence policy, you need to understand the, the policymaking process. You need to understand the key uh, actors in that space. And then you need to decide what's the best way of interacting with them. So it's like one of the, the, the people asking a question raised, in a situation where um, the, the policy environment is hostile, you may choose an opposition, oppositional um, role. For example, when... Um, uh, President Mbeki in South Africa was not supportive of of uh, treatment for HIV. There was a very important civil society organization called the Treatment Action Campaign, which campaigned vigorously for antiretroviral treatment. And you, you might choose to be in that space. When things started to change and the government was more receptive to, to acting on HIV, then you might say, no, 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 we now want to target the health professionals or the social development professionals. And the, but the key issue is you need to develop a relationship with them. So they need to see you as a trusted partner where you understand the issues that they're facing, you understand the timescales which are operating, you understand the policies which are in place, uh, and therefore you're useful because you can respond and say, oh, by the way, there's this research which is relevant or there's a big gap here. I know you're interested in X or Y. There's a big gap. Couldn't we together work on trying to solve it? So, for example, in my NGO days, there was a, a project we established on uh, participatory planning. And we, and we worked with Uganda, Zimbabwe and Ghana and, and South Africa. And um, we got a policy partner. We got an implementation partner and an NGO partner in each of the three in each of the four countries. So the policy partner would be listening to the evidence, even asking the questions. What's the questions we want to ask at the beginning? They're part of that process. So they're part of the whole learning process right the way through. And there's not like a waterfall at the end of the thing you present them with a report. But they're part of the process. And so if they're challenging things that emerge, they're being exposed to that bit by bit. If they can see that there's a problem emerging, they can go and talk to the right people in their ministry and say there's a problem here. Meanwhile, we're working on X or Y. And and so you've got a much more chance of building a common agenda and building a way of doing things. Uh, exactly, because you, it will make sense for governments to listen to both sides of the argument so that they can come up with a better informed policy, don't you think? Yes, and it's not a case of the researcher is right and the policymaker is wrong. It's a case of you've got different knowledge and you need to try and apply that in an implementation space and see what you can make work. Because researchers often have very little idea of the implementation realities of the way of government. So their research may be very theoretical and not actually able to be implemented. So it needs to be a conversation, a dialogue, a, a relationship, as I say, where you're working together. And the successful researcher policy brokers I've seen in South Africa have been so good at establishing that relationship and building a picture of themselves as a trusted intermediary and a trusted person to go to if there are questions of what works or, or how do we do this. Or. Yeah, but what are the incentives for uh, those who are supposed to implement the policies? I mean, the civil servants. I mean, if, if they don't get paid, if they have problems with the working facilities, are they keen to, to, to move uh, things forward? So it depends on the, the culture. And, and remember, government's not a monolithic thing. There are all sorts of subcultures 
in different parts of government, in yes. different parts of the same organization even. So one of the, one of the things uh, an evidence entrepreneur has got to be, they've got to be finding where are the people who are interested in doing something, where are the people who've got energy, where are the people who've got some resources that they're prepared to put in, and not focus on the areas where it's going to be a... You're going to be banging against a brick wall. But the people that are interested and work with them find ways to expose them, give them opportunities to learn, give them opportunities for profile. So, for example, when we write a paper, for example, out of our evaluations, the first name on the peer-reviewed paper is not the person who wrote the paper. It's the program manager who's been working on that program for years and has sweated blood and tears to make it work because they're the ones who need to get the credit. That's very motivating for people to see that recognition of, 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 what the, of their contribution. Yes, what about this major debate on climate change and uh, that sort of thing? How is it played out in a country like South Africa, which wants to use coal fire to fuel uh, uh, electricity? Whereas, I mean, people are saying that uh, African countries should not use the coal resources, even though there's technology to, 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 to keep the, the, the gas emissions very, very low. So the reality is there are multiple interests and the bigger the money at play, the more there are lobbies behind those multiple interests. And the question is how they play out. So there, in South Africa, there was a strong, there was a group motivating for nuclear. Yes. And it wasn't particularly an evidence-based one. There was an argu evidence argument. But uh, they, were, they, they were marshaled particular people particular politicians to make that work there were other people that were focusing on renewables we have a very highly successful renewables program but that is be that was stopped at a certain stage because it was seen to be almost too successful and and the attention was focusing on renewables you've got to play it's like playing an orchestra you've got to learn yes. to play yeah. and and work out where the balance of forces is. the anc always talks about the balance of forces. where's the balance of forces and where can you make a difference and where do you have to just hold back because the time's not right? Where can you? Where do you need to 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 act within? Where do you need to act without? Where you know, etc. Yeah. So in, in in the policy arena, how has the uh, assumption of power by President Ramaphosa been accepted? I mean, is it, is it a positive sign or? Uh... Well, there's been a lot of enthusiasm. There's been a lot of energy released, um, and. Uh, people felt it was time for a change. I think there's a feeling that a lot of our institutions have been compromised and there's a chance now to try and move forward with those. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's playing out. We only had the cabinet reshuffle last week. So how that? So there have been some very positive moves in terms of changes of ministers and um, uh, with highly effective people in critical, critical posts. So we're hoping that things will now move in a, in, a, in a strongly positive direction. And with the Cape Town water shortage uh, situation, has that got anything to do with failed policies? Or Well, there, to some extent there has been, there have, there has been a problem between the, the local government, the city, and the national department. Uh, the, the national department has experienced a number of problems itself. Ho um, I'm hoping now that that, might, that that relationship might be better and therefore might come to a better agreement. But also, I think what's very interesting about the Cape Town water situation is the city had to discover that it had to mobilise its citizens, that citizens were not heeding the messages that were 
coming forward. And they've now been much more successful at mobilizing citizens. And that all too often has got forgotten in many of our policy spaces. So this is a nice example of where it actually needed citizens to act to reduce their consumption. And that was the key. Indeed. How, how do yourselves in, in the uh, think tank arena put out your uh, message for the ordinary people to, 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 to buy into what you're trying to sell? So, so remember, I'm in, I'm in government, not so much the think tank arena. And one of the things I would criticize our department for is it's, it's not effective at communicating. And so the public knows very little about what we do, which is, I think, is a real problem. Why one, actually, one of the things I'm hoping to do in the next financial year is to start a, a project where we work with think tanks, who I think are the key knowledge brokers outside government that we need to work with. And so that there's a much better route for dissemination of our evidence, but also route in for their evidence to, 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 to come in more easily into the policy process. So how do you make sure that uh, evidence makes a lot of difference in terms of policy formulation, which you talked about in your paper? So you, again, you, you know, you, you've got to be like, a, a, as I say, an evidence or a policy entrepreneur. You've got to find the places where you think you can do it where you think there's enough political will to make it work, where there's you've got the time to be able to build the evidence base. Uh, and and it's not all departments, and it's not all parts of all departments. So you, our, the approach we've taken on the evaluation front is to start with the people that were keen. So you start by building from success, not by starting with the ones that are difficult, where you'll struggle to move forward at all. And on the whole, I would say that's worked. So we've now got something like 40% of national and provincial departments have a departmental evaluation plan and we've got something like 300 evaluations being planned by uh, departments some of which won't get implemented because they won't have the money etc but at least there's a significant number of evaluations which are now being planned but that that still means there's 40 50 60 percent of departments that are not there yet but that's fine because capacity varies greatly in government there's some high capacity in south africa there's some very high capacity departments and there's some departments which really really struggle well so, yeah, in, in the other parts of africa where you've worked i mean how has monitoring and evaluation been seen i mean are, are they quite effective so so i think monitoring is fairly is, is fairly is fairly common in most countries mm-hmm. Uh, there is, I have a serious question about how much difference it makes, how much the, the monitoring is used for learning, for feedback and for improvement. In many cases, I think it just becomes a bureauc- another part of the bureaucratic process where people are collecting data and, and passing reports because somebody up there wants it, but nobody knows why they want it and nobody knows what happens to that data or report. We have to move out of that. So there's a very important role to move out of this compliance model of yeah. M&E towards M&E that's strongly linked to learning and, and change. Indeed, that's the weakness in terms of development in Africa, isn't it? I, I think so. I think there's, there, the, the, there hasn't... I mean, the, when you look at China, for example, you see the way they're able to get a learning agenda and a policy agenda where they try something out, they see if it works, they apply it, they apply it more, they check it works, they move on. Whereas in, 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 in Africa, we tend to zigzag. Uh, we try this out, oh no, that doesn't work, we'll try something else out, then we'll try something else. And we're sort of influenced by donors, we're influenced by lobbyists, we're influenced by multinationals, we're influenced by the multilaterals, and we, we don't 
develop this ongoing system of learning and change, which I think is really critical. Ian Goldman, Acting De- Deputy Director General, Evidence and Knowledge Systems at South Africa's Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation Ministry. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.